This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Well, good evening. Happy New Year to you. New Song Church. Vlogs night one. Are you ready? Man, worship was so good, so pleasing to the heart of the Father. Um, Last year, Pastor David was not a part of Block's worship because he was dealing with some voice issues, and I'm so thankful. Tonight, I just found myself so thank you. Are you in here, David Terry? I'm thankful that he, uh, for our worship leader, I'm thankful for Pastor David. Last year was good, but it wasn't the same without Pastor David. I'm so thankful that his, his voice is healthy and he's here leading in worship. Um, If you missed church this morning, first of all, you missed, Pastor Josh has a mustache now. Um, (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise me with that last night. Um, Yeah, surprise, didn't even ask, just went for it. Um, And then you also missed an amazing message from Pastor Josh on uh, the power and the practices on the Holy Spirit. We are kicking off a brand new series, School of the Spirit. And I know that a lot of people weren't able to make it this morning, but they're traveling back in town, whatever the case may be, go back and check it out. It was amazing. Um, Students, love you guys. I love your zeal for the Lord. I love that you're here. I love that you're willing to sit on the floor. Man, I love new song students. This message tonight, I felt like after um, I got done going over it this afternoon, the Lord said this message was birthed during midweek prayer, like all the midweek prayers. And so if you've been at midweek prayer, you're going to be like, that sounds familiar. It's stuff we've been praying out at midweek prayer. This message is more than a message. It's a prayer. And I'm very excited to share it with you tonight. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful, God, that you are here, that we're two or three are gathered in your name and your nature, that you're here with us, walking these aisles during worship, ministering your love to us. We love you, King Jesus. We love you. I pray, God, that you would speak to every person in this room. Would you give us hearts full of fertile soil, that the word can go out, that it can find a place to take root, that, that, that we speak against any weeds, any distraction, anything that would come and try to choke this word out tomorrow or the next day. May this word produce fruit, some 50, some 90, some 100 fold fruit, God. Let us leave here different than when we walked in. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. The year was 1977, and the the mission was launching twin spacecraft into the galaxy to explore the galaxy. The special project was to come up with a message from Earth to play via these spacecraft for anyone or anything that happened to be out there in the galaxy. Now, imagine 
being put in charge of this type of project. Imagine your boss coming into you tomorrow morning and saying, hey, I have a special project for you. We're launching two spacecraft into the galaxy far, far away, and we need you to come up with what's going to go on these golden records that we're going to attach to these spacecraft. We need you to come up with the message from Earth to the rest of the universe in case there is life out there. What's going to go on these golden records? What would you put? What sound would you choose to put on these records? This actually happened to this woman named Annie Druin who worked for NASA. And she said when her boss brought her in and started to tell her about this project, the first thought that she had for what to put on these records was a piece of music by Beethoven called Opus 130. This great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margins the word longing. Longing. She wanted to, uh, she, she said part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing that we feel. So in 1977, two spacecraft launched into space carrying the sound of human longing and the sound of a human heartbeat. If there happened to be any intelligent life out there, these scientists at NASA, they wanted to communicate this message. This is who we earthlings are. We are creatures of longing. We're creatures of longing. Perhaps it was a desperate attempt to ask somebody from another planet, do you feel this longing too? Do you feel this ache too? And if so, have you found anything or anyone that can fix it, that can cure it, that can fill it? She said, we were hoping that maybe things like passion and longing are not just limited to our narrow experience, but might be something felt on other worlds. We know that Beethoven is not the first. He's not the last to write songs of human longing. Bono from U2, Wither Without You, or not Wither Without You, that's a good song too, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's a song of longing. The Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No... It's a song of longing. Bruce Springsteen, he wrote, everybody's got a hungry heart. What, he's ta- what is he talking about? He's talking about longing. Harry Styles says, if the stars were edible and our hearts were never full, could we live with just a taste? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about human longing and that there's so many whose hearts are never full. You know what would happen if the stars were edible and we could eat them? We would eat them all, trying to fill our hearts. He's talking about longing. The sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 84, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. We are creatures of longing. But what are we longing for? And what do we do with this longing that we all feel? And you might be thinking, come on, Pastor Sarah, like, we know this already. Like, we know that we're creatures of longing and that it's God that we're longing for and that it's his love that fills the God-shaped hole in our heart. Like, we got it. Can you give us something else for the new year? Listen. I know that you know that. And I know that you agree with that. But I feel like that's where a lot of people are stuck right now. 
We know it and we agree with it. Like we know that we are to love the Lord, our God, with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our passion, with all of our mind, with everything we got. We know that and we agree with that. We resonate with that. That's, that's a good way to live our lives. We agree with that statement. But are you living it out day in and day out? Are you loving him with all of your heart, your soul, your strength? Or do you just agree with that statement? We know that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And we're like, yep, know it. Yep, agree with it. That's a great way to live your life. That's how we should all go about our lives. I know you know it. And I know you agree with it. And I know you resonate with it. But are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you doing it? Are you doing it? We get stuck here. This is where it ends. I know it. I agree with it. I can, I can recite it back to you but it doesn't advance to doing, to living this stuff out. And that is not okay because there is an infinite God, guys. There is a limitless God who wants to have an intimate relationship with the bride of Christ. And yet there are so many that make up the bride of Christ who know this stuff, but they continue to turn to finite things, to finite, limited things to fulfill the longings of their life. There's a lack of passion in the bride. Somebody say passion. And we need to know this. The father has no intention he has no intention of offering his son a dull and disconnected church as his inheritance. The son will return to a fervent bride who loves him with the entirety of her existence. The entirety of her existence. The biblical story does not end with a fainting church. And that's good news. It ends with the people of God knowing who they are prepared as the bride of Christ filled with a consuming love for Jesus and crying out for his return. John Piper describes it like this. The bridegroom, this is Jesus. He left on a journey just before the wedding. And the bride cannot act as if things are normal. If she loves him, she'll ache for his return. Saving faith says, thy kingdom come. Come back, oh precious bridegroom. Come reign as king. Come vindicate your people. Come marry your bride. If she loves him, she'll ache for his return. She'll ask for his kingdom to come. She won't be lured to sleep by the world. And she won't be caught in the act of adultery with another lover. You know what's missing in the body of Christ? It's eros. Eros. If you're taking notes, write this word down. E-R-O-S. It's one of the Greek words for love that we see in scripture. There's the four Greek words that we talk about when we talk about, the, uh, about this word love, four dimensions, four types of love. Not all love is created equal. There's four types of love we see in scripture. We see storge, that's familial love, like the love that a mom has for her child or like a child has for its mother. 
There's philia love, that's brotherly love, like the love that I have for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. There's the agape love, that's unconditional, that's selfless love, that's the love we see displayed in Jesus as he's hanging from the cross. And then there's eros. Eros is passionate, burning love, like the love that we see in a groom and a bride. And we're gonna hone in on Eros tonight because Eros is usually limited to uh, when people are talking about like uh, sexual passion, uh, about sexual desire, romantic love. It's kind of viewed as like the black sheep of the love family. Like it's not talked about very often in the body of Christ. The only time you're probably gonna hear about Eros is if you're like in a marriage series in a week on sex and then they're gonna talk about Eros. But other than that, it doesn't get talked about this passionate burning love. And I think that's a great strategy on the enemy's part because this dimension of love that is used to describe passion and intimacy between a bride and a groom, if Satan can keep Christians thinking that that's just reserved for physical lovers, then he can keep our relationship with the Lord passionless. He can keep us unfulfilled, unsatisfied. He can keep us searching for things to fulfill our longings that can not. The New Testament describes Christ as the bridegroom who will leave his father in heaven and he will be joined. He will become one flesh with his bride. Like what's more intimate than that? This is Eros love. The scriptures compare God's love to the love of a husband and wife and their most intimate embrace. Like God didn't just make us sexual beings so that we could experience pleasure. He made us sexual beings so that we could tell the story of his love for us. Eros, love. It's a passionate, consuming love. It's a fervent, fiery, burning love. It's the kind of love that Christ has for the bride of Christ. And it's the kind of love that the bride of Christ ought to have for him. Eros, love. All throughout the Psalms, we see this phrase, with my whole heart. When we went through the Psalms in in November, I kept seeing it over and over and over again. With my whole heart, I will trust you with my whole heart. I will seek you with my whole heart. I will love you with my whole heart. God is looking for wholehearted worshipers. Now, I think we have many people in the church that love God with a respectful love like the kind of respect that you have for your parents. Like, let's call them, let's call them Aretha worshipers. Like, yeah, God, I R-E-S-P-E-C-T you. I respect you. That's good. We have a lot of people who, who love God with an unconditional love. Like, no matter what, in every season, I'm gonna worship you. No matter what my circumstances look like, I will always love you. Let's call them Whitney worshipers, that's agape. And then we have many who love God with like this love that we have for our big brother. We're coming into church and we're like, people let me tell you about my You guys know who wrote that song? Anybody? Papa? Papa? No? Come on. Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen worshipers for nobody who knows that in the room. But what's missing are passionate intimate, 
fervent, totally consumed lovers of God, eros worship. And, and without this eros component, I think we're gonna be, be left singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Instead of singing, I wanna be the oil, I wanna be the sacrifice, I wanna be a laid down lover all of my life. In the world, in the world, if you look around, we find eros without agape, okay? We find this passionate physical love, but it's conditional. You know what that is? It's a body without a soul. But in the church, we see agape without eros. It's like this unconditional love, but it's not a passionate, all-consuming, burning love. That's a soul without a body. That's a cold love, a cold love. God is calling his people to eros love. You know, this time of year, we really start to think about what we're eating, right? How we're gonna eat. It's the first of the year. We're gonna cut back on sugar. We're gonna add vegetables. We start to research, like, should we do intermittent fasting? Should we do Mediterranean diet? Should we do plant-based? We get out our pacer bottles again, and we start filling those up, and, and we're gonna do it. We're gonna drink this much water every day, 365 days. We start to really think about what we're eating, our diets, what that looks like physically. But tonight, I wanna talk to you about three types of spiritual eating plans. And I want you to try to identify which plan that you are on right now and uh, how that plan is affecting your eros, your desire, your passion for Christ. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah. Say, I'm ready. All right. Plan number one. This is the first spiritual plan people find themselves on, and that is the squelch diet. Somebody say squelch. Squelch, that speaks to famine, deprivation, starvation. This is the shutting down of any and all indulgence of desire. Squelch speaks to uh, forcefully silence or suppressing something. Now, people who are on the squelch diet, they have traded red hot blood coursing through their veins for blue, cold, embalming fluid. And it's left them a little bit lifeless. Like nothing really bothers them that much, but nothing really excites them very much either. They're kind of like, meh. They have chosen to shut eros and desire down so that they can have a responsible and dutiful life. A lot of times eros, like this passionate, intimate, fervent, all-consuming love, it's looked at as an enemy to healthy spirituality. Eros is looked at as something to be, to be silenced, to be squelched, uh, to be suppressed. Eros is looked at almost as something to fear, like caution. Even, even if it's not what our youth pastors meant, even if it's not what your Christian parents meant when, when you were growing up, or maybe it is what they meant, this is what we heard, all desire is bad. All desire is bad, especially sexually desire, eros types of desires. Don't do that. That's going to get you into trouble. Conceal, don't feel, repress, ignore, silence, squelch, all eros desires until you get married. And then when you get married, all of your eros desires are going to be satisfied. They'll be fulfilled. Only every married person in this room knows that that is not true. Sex and marriage is wonderful, and it is a signpost pointing to ultimate fulfillment in Christ. But the best sex on planet Earth cannot 
satisfy you eternally. It cannot fully satisfy you. But that's what many young people are told. Squelch desire. All that will be met when you get married and be sure that you follow all the rules. But this isn't Christianity. It's passionless legalism. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. To ignore our longings is to ignore the one who can fulfill our longings. To ignore our longings is to ignore the one who can fulfill our longings. Jesus wants us to beware, to be aware of our desires, not to pretend that they don't exist. I love his very first words, Jesus' first words recorded in the gospel of John. Check this out. It says, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following, said, what do you want? That's his first recorded words in the gospel of John. What do you want? They replied, rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. What do you want? What are you longing for? What seek ye, King James? What seek ye? What are you after? Why would Jesus want us, want these guys to be aware of their desire so that he can invite them to come and see, to come and see what? To come and see what life in God's kingdom is all about. To come and see that he is the one, the only one who can give us what we are truly after. And yeah, you're probably thinking, but John's disciples, they were not like dealing with an unholy desire. They, they, were, they were just wanting to like get to know Jesus more. But what do I do with like unholy desires? Like, don't I need to squelch those? Don't I need to suppress those? Here's what you need to know. Behind all of our misdirected or unholy desires, there is a legitimate desire that God put there and that he wants to satisfy. Here's what you need to know. I'm gonna say it again. Behind all of our misdirected, our unholy desires, there is a legit, a legitimate desire that God put there and he wants to satisfy. So instead of squelching desires, we need to uncover, uncover that legitimate desire and then entrust its satisfaction entirely to God. We are engaged. We know it. We are engaged in a lively battle between our flesh and our spirit. If you are fasting, you know that to be true. We're engaged all the time in a battle between our flesh and a spirit. But you need to know that you are not powerless to resist temptation. We read about Jesus resisting temptation today. We're not powerless to resist temptation and we can, by God's grace, we can learn to do something. We can learn to untwist what sin has twisted. We can learn to untwist what sin has twisted, these desires, in order to reclaim all that is good and noble and true and beautiful. This is the gospel. This is Jesus taking over. This is God's kingdom, his good news. The untwisting of what sin has so pervertedly twisted. So it's not only about starving our desires. Now, hear me. Yes, run from evil. Mortify your flesh. 
But scripture also says, run towards godliness, pursue holiness, run towards righteousness. And we do that, we run towards godliness when we choose to redirect those desires, to reorient those desires. So here's what this looks like. Ladies, single ladies in the room, instead of ignoring that desire, that passion, that unholy longing that you have for that married guy at work. There's a married guy at work, right? You're not married, but he is, and he stirs something up in you, and it's an unholy desire. Instead of just ignoring it, or, or, or fellas in the room, instead of popping yourself on the wrist every time you are tempted to look at pornography, this unholy desire with a rubber band, you know that method? What, what, if you heard, what if you heard Jesus saying to you, what is it that you're looking for? What are you after? And what if you boldly responded, I don't know, Lord, I don't know. Why am I so attracted to this married man? What is this that he stirs in me? I don't know, but I'm gonna give it entirely to you. Would you purify this? Would you redeem this? And would you show me what I'm really longing for? What if you did that? And what if you sit and you wait on the Lord? Strength comes when we wait on the Lord. What if we listen and we allow God to uncover that legitimate desire that he longs to meet? behind the misdirected desire. Christopher West says, what's needed to progress on this journey of Christianity is depth of desire, not death of desire. I'll say it again. What's needed to progress on this journey of the Christian life is, is depth of desire, not death of desire. The church is full of people who have adopted this mantra, death to desire. And it's coming from such a pure place. Like it's coming from a place where you just wanna be pure. But, but it's not working, this death to desire mentality. Here's, here's what we have. We have a bunch of people who are like bouncing their eyes. We have a bunch of people who are subscribed to covenant eyes. All good things, all needed things. You should have that stuff in place if you're struggling with some type of sexual addiction. Have it in place so that you can mortify your flesh. But, but what's happening is, is this death to desire mentality. We have people who aren't looking at porn or at least not as much as they used to or not, not overeating or at least not as much as they used to, but they're not looking at God either. They're not beholding him. And that's where transformation comes from. If you just keep trying to starve all of your desire, if you just keep trying to ignore it, like la, 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 and just ignore it. If you keep trying to rubber band pop and snap all your desire away, you know what you're doing? You're training yourself not to long. You're training yourself to not desire. You're training yourself to not seek, to not experience eros. When, when to long and to desire and to seek first God's kingdom is what's gonna bring us satisfaction. It's what's going to bring God glory. What if instead of, of, of squelching desire, we begin to see longings, like even the ones that need to be redeemed and need to be redirected? What if we see these longings that they're actually stretching us toward God? What if instead of training yourself to ignore your longings, 
What if you let your longings train you? Training yourself to ignore? What if instead of doing that, you start to train or you start to let your longings train you? What does that look like? To be trained by longing means to learn how to take what you're longing for. Learn how to take this longing for infinity. That's what we're all after. Infinite joy, infinite pleasure, infinite acceptance, infinite happiness. To take these longings for infinity to our infinite God. And learn to go to him and him alone and to settle for nothing less than him. The squelch diet, it kills passion. Number two is the fast food diet. The fast food diet. This is the promise of immediate, right now, gratification through indulgence of desire. Ooh, I have a desire, I'm going to indulge it for immediate, right now, gratification. Now listen, talking about the squelch diet and the fast food diet, hear me. If given the choice between starvation and a nasty Carl's Jr. chicken nugget that has been sitting under a lamp for like four days, starvation or a nugget that you would never normally eat, if you're starving, guess what? You're gonna eat the nugget. And this is what happens. This is why the squelch diet is dangerous because people, death desire, death desire, death desire. They're not redirecting their desire, so they're starving. And so things that normally would be repulsive and normally I would never do that, they have a relapse and they go back to something they hate and they despise because they're not redirecting their desire. The fast food diet, just like the starvation diet, will end up killing you. Not by starvation, you're not gonna die due to starvation, but if you just eat the wrong stuff all the time, you poison yourself with unhealthy food. We know this, Morgan Spurlock, he did that uh, Super Size Me documentary where for 30 days he ate nothing, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he ate McDonald's. And if they said, do you want to supersize it? He had to say yes, and he had to eat the whole thing. And by the end of this experiment, do not do this, students. By the end of this experiment, his body was shutting down from all the grease, all the sodium, all the preservatives. So you don't die by starvation, but you die from horrible intake, what your intake is. Um, now, we're people who are on the squelch diet, they repress, they ignore, eros. People on the fast food diet, they live by a different motto. Their motto is desire is not something that needs to be repressed, it's something that needs to be fed, which is fine as long as we're feeding it the right things. And fast food is not the right thing. The fast food plan actually looks the most like between the squelch and the fast food plan. The fast food plan looks like the plan that we were created for that we're gonna talk about next more than the squelch plan does. It just misses the mark because it, it's, it, it knows that we need to be satisfied, but it's going to the wrong things. What causes people to get on the fast food plan is not that they desire too much, it's that they desire too little. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it like this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy 
is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to make mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Clive, Staples, Lewis. Someday I want you guys to quote me as S.B. Blunt. Like all, the, all of them, all of the good ones, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, N.T. Wright, S.B. Blunt, okay? That's how I want to be quoted. A.W. Tozer, yep. Um, okay, so there's a lot of people who identify as Christians that are settling, settling for drink, settling for casual sex, settling, trying to make a name for themselves, living the fast food life. They're looking for immediate, right now, satisfaction, gratification. They're, they're indulging their desires with the wrong stuff because so few have ever heard the gospel in a way that activated Eros love in them. You know, I hear people say all the time, and I've prayed this before, God, we wanna return to our first love flame. But the Lord showed me today, this afternoon, that there's some people who are Christians who don't even know what that means, a first love flame. They've said yes to Jesus, but never burned passionately for him. People on the fast food plan have tendencies toward addiction, toward addiction because they want, they desire more than this world has to offer, but they don't know where to find it, where to look for it. So they gorge on the things that this world does have to offer. It leads to addiction. Those on the fast food plan are trying to suck infinity out of finite things. Trying to suck infinity out of finite things. They're longing for intimacy, more intimacy than this world has to offer. So they gorge on where they think they can find that intimacy. Things like pornography, casual sex, but that stuff is finite. So they gotta keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. They long for approval, but they don't know where to find it in this world. So they gorge on what this world does have to offer. Things like social media, the likes, the, the, the trends, I, I got, uh, that, that, that dopamine hit they get, they just keep going back and keep going back, keep pr producing co uh, content. That They have a bad day if the, this post doesn't get as much likes as, as that post. They're longing for peace, but they don't know where to find it in this world. So they look to things like alcohol, like drugs, but it's finite. They got to keep going back, longing for purpose, but they don't know where to find it. They, they're, 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 what they're longing for, they can't find it in this world. So they look for fulfillment in their work, become workaholics, but that's finite. God is the only infinite. He's the only limitless one. Everyone else, everything else has limits. Everyone else, everything else is finite. The fast food plan will satisfy momentarily, but it won't last long and you're gonna be left wanting more. It leads to a lifestyle of addiction and despair. The third plan is the banquet. And this is the plan that we were created for, the banquet. This is the promise of eternal gratification through indulgence of desire. Yeah, indulge those desires the right way. Song of Songs 2-4 says, He brought me to his banquet hall and raised the banner of love over me. Isaiah 25, six says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. 
We have people who are starving themselves when this is available. We have people eating greasy chicken nuggets when this is available. Rich food full of marrow, aged wine, well refined. The banquet plan, like I said, it's similar to the fast food plan because those who say yes to the banquet, they know that that desire is not something to be squelched or repressed, but it's something that needs to be fed. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and blessed are those who thirst for they will be satisfied. Only unlike those on the fast food plan, banqueters will not settle for the cheap, for the instant gratification. Banqueters are after heavenly bread. Banqueters are after divine wine. Banqueters have, ha, have lived into this truth that Jesus has a deep desire for them. And in turn, that makes them have a deep desire for him. Look at this in Luke 22, 14 and 15. It says, when it was time to eat the Passover meal, Jesus and the apostles were at the table. Jesus said to them, 12 nobodies from nowhere. Jesus said to them, I've had a deep desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He had a deep desire to commune, to have this meal with his disciples. We are able to love with this passionate love when we realize that he has first loved us with this passionate, all-consuming love. Banqueters know that they were made for pleasure and instead of repressing their hunger, their eros, or gorging on what the world has to offer, they look to Christ. John Eldridge says, uh, Jesus knows the dilemma of desire and he speaks to it in nearly everything he says. He knows that ecstasy is not an option. We are made for bliss. He knows this, that we must have it one way or another fast food or banquet. We must have our needs met one way or another. Are you in touch with your hunger? Are you in touch with your hunger? If you're on the squelch diet, probably not. Tonight, it needs to be reawakened. You need to reacquaint yourself with the deepest desires of your heart. Blessed are those who hunger. Are you in touch with your hunger? Or maybe you're here tonight and... um, you're real in touch with your hunger. Like, you know, you're real in touch with it. Um, But because it's been so twisted and so perverted by the world, it's hard for you to imagine that Jesus could possibly be the one that could provide the bliss or the ecstasy that you're looking for. Jesus, really? But remember, he created you. He created you to experience bliss and to experience longing. And he wants to take you to the banquet hall and to the wine cellar and to fill your cup till it overflows and sit you down with his banner of love over you and fulfill every longing of your life. It's time to feast. It is time to feast on Jesus and to let his deep desire for us set our hearts aflame with deep desire for him. I believe that the Lord, the Holy Spirit wants to set 
some people on fire tonight. But there are people that are afraid to burn. He wants to set some people on fire, but there's people who are afraid to burn. Some of you are terrified of what it might mean if you started to really passionately burn with this Eros love for the Lord. I was listening to a song uh, called Psalm 63 by Jeremy Riddle. We're actually gonna sing it in a bit. And um, as I was listening to it a few weeks ago, the Lord just started to impress on my heart that there's some lyrics in that song that terrify some people. That when they hear it, it's like, mm-mm, that frightens me. I don't like that. Before, we, before I read you the lyrics to that song, I just wanna read Psalm 63 from the ESV to you. You want some word? You ready for it? You, you okay with some scripture? Psalm 63, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. My right hand upholds me. That's a song of longing. Now I wanna to read to you the lyrics that Jeremy Foster wrote based on this. He says, for I have seen you, I've beheld your glory and I am ruined for there is none to compare. And I long to know you in the depths of your love that always leave me time and time again undone. Ruined and undone. Ruined and undone. The Holy Spirit said, those two words frighten comfortable Edmund. Those two words frighten comfortable Edmund. I've seen you, I've beheld your glory. Sweet. Cool. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I am ruined. Whoa. I am ruined. Hold on. There's hesitancy to head to the banquet and to love God with this eros, this eros love to feel the depth of desire to burn because we don't want to be ruined. Yeah. We don't want to be ruined. We're like, you know what? We kind of like our life. Like we like our friends and we like our social circles and our little clubs and we like our guilty pleasures. Like, we like Jesus too, but we don't want Jesus coming along and ruining the other stuff that we like. Like he's a wet blanket or something. It's Jesus. Josh and I love good food. If you know us, you know this to be true. When we travel, we seek out the best places to eat. And a few years ago, we were in Boston for Red Sox opening day. It was awesome. And uh, we heard about this place called Mike's Pastry. So we had to check it out. And uh, they're famous for cannoli, which we'd never had a cannoli. Like all we knew of cannoli was Godfather, take the gun. No, wait, take the gun, leave the cannoli. Yeah. And um, I say, take the cannoli, leave the gun. Um, but like a peace offering you could give, everything would be smoothed out. Okay. 
that's all we knew of cannoli. But, but this day we walk in, the place is packed and we get the cannoli because that's what you get. And upon taking our first bite, like this is banquet food right here. Like the pastry shell is perfection. The creamy middle, like it's insane. So a, a couple months later, I'm back in Edmond and I'm at Uptown and I see that they have some cannoli in, in the, the pastry case. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we love cannoli. So I'm gonna get some cannoli and uh, I'm gonna surprise the family. And um, no offense to Uptown, I love Uptown. But I took a bite of the cannoli and I was like, ah, Mike's pastry has ruined me for cannoli. None can compare. Let me just tell you, I wasn't mad about it. I wasn't mad that Mike's ruined all other cannoli. It was one of my favorite food experiences, like uh, top 10. And we go, every time we go back to Boston, we go every day, like book the hotel closest to Mike's pastry. (laughs) Listen, when you earnestly seek God, when your soul thirsts, when your flesh faints, when you open up this eros dimension of love, this passionate, intimate depth of desire, and he sets you on fire, it is going to ruin you to some things in your life, but you won't be mad about it. You won't be sorry. Like this thought has never crossed my mind. Man, I wish that we wouldn't have had that amazing cannoli in Boston so that we could enjoy mediocre cannoli in Edmonds. And I've also never had this thought. I wish I wouldn't have fallen passionately in love with Jesus so that I could spend all my time, energy, and effort trying to find bliss and ecstasy from whatever the world dangles in front of me only to find out that the world is full of crap. I've never been mad about it. I have seen him and I've beheld his glory and I am ruined and there's no other state that I would rather be in. Maybe it's a word like undone that frightens you because you like things buttoned up. You like things like tight, like you are wound so tightly. Like you worked so hard to get all this done. Why would you want anybody to come and undo it? Why would you want to be undone by the depths of God's love? Because maybe wound up so tightly in this cocoon stuffed in there is some hurt, is some rejection, is some fear, is some doubt, is some unforgiveness, is some bitterness, is some lies that you've been believing and carrying around with you. But if you, will be, if you will be open and you will say, you know what, I'm not afraid. I wanna burn, I wanna be ruined. I want you to come and pull the thread that undoes my life so that you can show me the depravity of my sin, uh, 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 of my hurt, of my brokenness, so that you can minister to me the healing and the wholeness and the freedom that you want to minister to me. Charles Spurgeon says, God will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. We can't be afraid to burn. I'm going to invite the band up at this time. We can't be afraid of eros, of passion, of being intoxicated by the love of God. We can't be afraid of an uncontrolled appetite for God. We can't be afraid of the banquet. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. This is one of the best sentences I read last year. He said, in the more... I considered Christianity the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run 
wild. To give room for good things to run wild. To give room for God's kingdom, rule and reign, advancing here in the earth, bringing healing and wholeness and chasing out chaos and chasing out darkness, giving room for God's kingdom to run wild, giving room for the Zoe life, the God kind quality of life to run wild in my life. Christopher West calls this vertical wildness. Now you take this desire to go wild, to let good things run wild. If you take it horizontal here to the earth, you're gonna end up at a frat party. <laughs> Fast food galore. But if you take this desire for good things to run wild and you aim it vertical, you aim it heavenward, you're gonna end up launching into infinity, into God's kingdom, which is from everlasting to everlasting. God's kingdom is where you'll end up, which is available and accessible to us right here and right now through Jesus Christ. Are you giving room for good things to run wild? Not fast food things, not cheap knockoff things, but good things. Or are you always saying no? Always tapping the brakes, squelch it. Listen, knowing how to say no is great, but knowing how to say yes to God is even greater. Psalm 81.10, for it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it with good things. Psalm 23.5, you prepare a banquet for me while my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Psalm 34.8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 78.29, they ate and were filled. The Lord gave them what they wanted. They were not deprived of their desire. Song of Songs 5.1, eat oh friends and drink drink your fill oh lovers so what must we do to enter the banqueting passionate burning life i'm going to give you five thoughts and i want you to sit with these thoughts they're in the app take a screenshot write them down i want you to sit with these thoughts this week in silence and solitude i want you to ask the holy spirit to come come holy spirit and then i want you to just wait I want you to give your soul room to speak up. Do you know how your soul is doing? Jesus said, is anything worth more than your soul? And a lot of us are so busy, we don't even know what's going on inside. So I want you to sit with these questions. To enter into the banqueting, passionate, burning life, we need to get to the bottom of our desires. We need to ask, what am I longing for above all else? Do you even know? I bet you don't. I bet the majority of people in this room don't even know because we're so busy and our souls are so like cluttered. What am I longing for above all else? Number two, we have to trace our desires back to their original longing for God. We do that by asking why? Why am I longing for this above all else? Why am I longing for that promotion, that relationship, that success, that pleasure, that certain number in my bank account? Why am I longing for that above all else? Number three, we have to enter the refining fire and allow anything we're clinging to that is not God to melt away. We need to ask this question. Am I willing to not want what I am clinging to? 
If you're not willing to not want it, you're stuck and you need to ask God to create in you a clean heart, a new heart. Because if you're not willing to not want what you're clinging to, you're stuck. You gotta get to the place where I don't, I'm willing to not want this, to cling to this. Number four, you have to desire to burn with passionate eros. Gotta desire, you gotta ask, you gotta pray, you gotta seek, you gotta thirst, you gotta faint. Ask, am I willing to be ruined and undone by the depths of God's love? And number five, say yes to the invitation. Matthew 22, four through 10, Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests and they wouldn't come. He sent out another round of servants instructing them to tell the guests, look, everything's on the table. The prime rib is ready for carving, come to the feast. They only shrugged their shoulders and went off. One to weed his garden, another to work in his shop, the rest with nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers and then killed them. The king was outraged and sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. Then he told his servants, we have a wedding banquet all prepared, but no guest. The ones I invited weren't up to it. Other translations say the ones I invited, they weren't worthy of the invitation. That's us. None of us are worthy of the invitation, but we've been invited. What are you gonna do with this invitation? How will you respond it? Will you ghost it? Like those invites you get on Facebook, like, oh, I didn't see it. Will you shrug your shoulders? Just shrug your shoulders and go back to work tomorrow. Go weed the garden, go work at the shop. Will you beat up the messenger on the way home? Pastor Sarah wasn't very sweet tonight. She wants my life ruined and undone. Maybe you'd be like, I'm, I'm good with the squelch diet. Seems to be working for me. I'm good. Or I'll just keep getting by on fast food. I don't even know if I'll like what they're serving at the banquet. Hear me. The limitless, infinite God who created you to experience ecstasy and bliss. He's invited you, unworthy you, and unworthy me to banquet with him. Say yes. Say yes to depth of desire. Say yes to being ruined. Say yes to being undone. Say yes to burning for him. Say yes to letting good things run wild. Say yes to infinity. Say yes to being filled full. If you would stand to your feet, and we're gonna do altar ministry a little bit differently. I don't want altar ministry team to come forward at this time. When I begin to pray and ask the Lord, like, what do we do at the end of this message? He said, I want every person, wherever they're standing, that they would make that their altar, okay? So you're already at the altar. Where you're standing, you're at the altar. And this altar ministry, we're gonna minister to him. We're gonna minister to him. We're gonna sing Psalm 63 together. And I want you to know that he is here. 
where two or three are gathered, we believe that, that He's here. I believe that Jesus is walking the aisles. I've seen Him at New Song walking the aisles, wanting to heal people. And then a, a student confirmed that same week that, that, that the Lord touched him, stopped and touched him and healed his shoulder in worship. This isn't make-believe. This isn't fairy tale. This isn't a moment that we're trying to, 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 like, to, to manufacture here. He is going to be walking these aisles as we sing these words to him. Now, as we make this altar ministry, it's important that we're not just singing this about him. And we're not just singing like, yeah, we agree with these things about Jesus, but I want you to know you're singing it to him. Like see him in front of you and you singing these words to your Jesus who saved you. And maybe you're not here yet. Maybe this is like a prayer that you're praying to Jesus as he's in front of you. I wanna see you. I wanna be undone. I wanna burn for you. Let's minister first to the Lord and then we'll have traditional altar ministry at the end. Press in, he's here. Jesus, we love you. We wanna love you more. Would you set us on fire? I speak to a spirit of fear. People who are afraid to burn, I command that spirit of fear to go in Jesus' name. We wanna burn for you. We wanna be undone, we wanna be ruined for there is none who can compare to you, King Jesus. Come, we wanna minister to your heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, Go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.